Welcome to the Happy Successful Massage Therapist. I am Eric DeGeer, business coach, massage therapist, game designer, and your host. This podcast deals with a wide range of interests framed within the five mountains, physical, mental, financial, relational, and spiritual. This month, we'll be focusing on the spiritual mountain, which involves connection, purpose, trust, peace, and life meaning. Enjoy. All right. We're here for another episode of the Happy Successful Massage Therapist. I'm here with Jessica Crow, a connection of mine. She's a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher, both online and in person. Well, Jessica, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you have going on? Sure. Thank you, first of all, for having me on. I appreciate it. I love to make this connection. I've been a massage therapist for 20 plus years. Uh, So I've been in that hands-on healing field for a long, long time and have seen its evolution, especially during COVID and post-COVID. I've also been a yoga teacher and meditation teacher for over a decade now. So that's what I have going on. It's always been the blending of these things and, and trying to find how to best help my clients with these tools from massage body work, energy healing, as well as the field of yoga, mindfulness, and meditation. So I've been just discovering new ways to blend these tools together to kind of recreate a really holistic therapy for people. So right now I'm really focused on launching my meditation teacher training. It's a 100-hour interdisciplinary training in meditation, mindfulness, and stress reduction that starts in January. I've spent many years training yoga teachers and then training clients one-on-one in these techniques. So I feel just ready to go. I'm really excited about this. It allows me to spread the message to more people that will then go out there and give these tools to even more people. So I see it as a really exciting way just to reach more people with stress reduction and mindfulness. I've been a massage therapist for over 20 years. I believe 22 now. I am sort of phasing out the hands-on therapy. I only see a couple of clients maybe per week now, and I have some continuing education courses online as well. But I'm venturing more into the meditation and yoga realm more and more, so that balance is shifting for me. Very cool. So what has been your spiritual journey? with massage, meditation, and yoga? Like, how did that start? How'd you get into that? Mm, (laughs) I feel like this could be an entire book. (laughs) Well, with massage, I had my first professional massage when I was 16 or 17 years old, and it was gifted to me by someone in my family. And I had during it one of those aha moments, you know, like one of those pristine experiences of really reconnecting with my own spirit and my own intuition and willpower and all of that stuff that gets separated by all of the outside noise of what's going on in life. So it was a moment of mind-body reconnection for me. And it was so powerful. And I thought, this is incredible that I just kept coming back to it. I was already studying psychology and various energy work. And over the next few years, people would give me guided relaxation and guided meditation tapes and CDs back then. (laughs) 
And I found them so useful. Also breathing techniques have always been really powerful for me. So I found them really useful. I was starting to deal with chronic pain at that point, which I do still have today. So I use these tools to cope with that. And I found it allowed me to just sink back into myself, to reunite with myself. And I thought, this is something I just want to share with others. So I guess that was the start of my journey. So when I came to yoga and yoga teaching, I had been practicing yoga for several years. I grew up as a dancer, so I did have a lot of you know, body information and movement memory in my body, and I liked to move. And all that I knew about yoga was the asana practice. You're going to do positions and move around and hold poses and you can bend your body and things like that. And it feels good, right? That for a few years. And then I realized I have so much anxiety and stress in my life besides the chronic pain factor. And, you know, they do obviously go hand in hand, but it was starting to cause more physical ailments, just the stress and anxiety of my everyday life. And the relationship I was in, the work situations I was in, just my everyday environment was not very healthy, but I thought I was comfortable in it. Although, you know, your inner being knows differently. So it starts to express itself through your body to try to get your attention. And when I came to yoga practice, I would start getting these little aha moments of touching base again with my true self and with my inner guidance. And I got to a point where I had a pretty big health scare actually. And I didn't know what else to do about it. The doctors didn't really know what to do about it. The whole message was, well, stress reduction. You need to learn to relax, get rid of anxiety. And in that you'll do the best you can. You might still be sick or get sick or suffer pain or this and that, but you'll be better off for that. So this is all you can do. So I signed up for my first yoga teacher training. I did it down in Costa Rica, gosh, I think maybe 12 years ago or so now, maybe a little more. And I had no intention of ever teaching anyone else. I wasn't teaching at that time. I was a hands-on massage therapist. I did that full time. I was working with clients one-on-one, you know, I'd occasionally teach them a stretch or something or how to do a self-massage technique, but that was very rare and I wasn't comfortable with it. And so I had no intention of actually becoming a teacher, but I knew that sometimes people took teacher trainings just to benefit themselves, to deepen their own practice and enrich their lives. So mm-hmm. I went down and did this 10-day immersion <laughs> in the middle of the jungle in Costa Rica I think it was only the second time I had even been out of the country with a whole bunch of strangers. It was such a powerful experience. And I came out of it knowing a lot more about meditation and how it relates to yoga, how it's an integral part of the yoga practice, spirituality in a different realm, patience, perseverance, these kinds of things that you learn when you have uh, 12 or 14 hour days of practice in the middle of the jungle with things that you're not used to, you know, tarantulas in the cabin and panthers roaming around. So you learn a lot. And I came back with this really amazing tool set. I still didn't really have any inclination to 
teach a yoga class or share this with others. I was still really integrating it into myself, but I did sign up to go back to college at that time. And I was studying, was really, really interested because of this in the stress response and neurobiology and psychology around how stress affects your physical health. So that was my focus for my bachelor's degree. Uh, I did a behavioral neuroscience degree. I thought I was going into the field of medical research in that subject. And during my two years of study, I needed to move my body. I was actually taking classes online at that time. And I just needed to move my body the rest of the day. So I signed up, someone kept putting in my ear, go study with Dharma, Dharma Mitra, Dharma Yoga. <laughs> and like, go take his master class in the city. And I was very intimidated for a while hearing about a master class because I thought you had to be a master at it to go. But what it meant was he's a master. <laughs> he's the master teacher. Come study with him. He can treat everyone and give them what they need. So I did start doing that. And the classes used to be two hours long every day, 12 to two. We would all get there at 1130 to warm up for the two hour class. <laughs> so I did two and a half hours of practice Monday through Friday with Dharma for those couple of years I was in school. And I remember only two months in when I met him and I started studying with him every day that I just had this overwhelming notion of, I'm going to teach for him. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to share this. This is it. Like it was almost like he transmitted it to me. And as soon as I graduated with my college degree, I signed up to do a training at Dharma's to become a Dharma teacher. And I was just lucky and blessed enough that they put me on the schedule right away. So I was they're teaching live classes in his studio, sometimes right after him. He's still picking up from his class and I'm setting up mine. And it was just an incredible experience. So I did that for a couple of years. And then I was also lucky enough to be asked to mentor in his yoga teacher trainings, which I did for a couple of years. You know, of course, you're there guiding others, but every time that you teach, you're learning more yourself. I've been uncovering layers and layers and layers as I teach, you know, I learn people ask me questions and especially when I don't know them, <laughs> when I don't know them, I have to find out when I really think I know them though, I usually don't know them, right? <laughs> you think, you know, something you probably don't. <laughs> yeah. The process is still going on, but I feel like I'm reaching deeper layers, more subtle layers as Dharma would say. Anyway, you start getting rid of all of these doubts, self-doubts, the self-realization starts to bubble up to the surface. And, you know, it's always there. All of the information that we need to proceed in our lives is there. All of the answers are there, but we do need to learn, especially in this modern world, it's so busy and full of so much expectation. We need tools and we need practices that help us guide us back to that information because it just gets buried especially now with social media and you know we jump from our phone to our computer to this and that and email and we're just expected to be everywhere except with ourself that's really powerful 
Yeah. And it's interesting just listening to your story of this unique introduction to yoga. How have you found that it has affected your massage, this combination of yoga and massage? <laughs> That's a great question. I have realized that I'm able to tune in to my clients in a different way, in a, in a much more sincere, deeper way. Like I have better ears for listening through their body. I can understand what people can be holding in their bodies. I understand movement patterns a lot differently and say from learning asana, from seeing so many people move and seeing where people hold things the most when they're physically moving through a practice. And when you see that in hundreds and thousands of different students, you just kind of know, you can see that when someone's just laying there on the table. So you kind of know what to expect and Sometimes you can use your intuition to even figure out why it might be there. The meditation and the mindfulness aspect of yoga and of meditation practice itself, it helps you as a massage therapist to discern your own thoughts, like what is mine and what is coming from them. You could say energetically, perhaps not thoughts, but what is my intention in this and what is coming from them and how can I help them settle into this session and make them feel comfortable? How do I give more compassion to them? And sometimes what that means as a massage therapist is looking at what's distracting you personally and then allowing it to settle or purposefully setting it aside. So doing some type of grounding practice first or a mindfulness meditation saying, is my body hurting? First of all, you know, I've been training massage therapists for years now too. Self-care and injury in our field is huge. But again, like most of us are working, 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 doing many clients in a row, and it's very easy to forget. So I think that taking just two to five minutes before a session and tuning in with yourself and saying, am I hurting somewhere? Does my body feel imbalanced? How's my energy? And then you know what your starting point is and you can better take care of yourself in that session. And then you kind of be more attentive with that client if you know what's coming from you and what's coming from them, if that makes sense. But it also helps you to kind of let your thoughts settle. Maybe you just went through a breakup. Gosh, I've had this happen and then had to go in and work an entire day with massage clients. And you want to put up a boundary, like you care about people as a massage therapist. That's, you know, we're one of the most caring bunches of people out there. We don't want to transfer that stuff to them. And when we can be more mindful of setting things aside, you know, if there are negative emotions floating around in your head or just repetitive thoughts that aren't helpful, if you can become more sensitive to that, what's going on in your own mental space, and then refocus on just being with them. So it's a sort of mindfulness that you can take into a massage. You're spot on that mindfulness of the body is something that I've really discovered with massage and yoga combined and just being able to tell right where it hurts and be like, okay, I need to stretch this or, you know, almost knowing intuitively what should be done to fix what's going on in my body helps working with other people and with their bodies. And knowing, okay, this is the issue that I'm working on in massage. This is what they should be doing in yoga. 
you know, or do this yoga pose to stretch that area. And it helps being able to recommend yoga poses to people and prescribing them <laughs> in a way to help them help themselves. Absolutely. That's great. I know that in New York state, we are allowed to do that. We're encouraged to do that. And as I've been teaching continuing education courses, I've gone out in different places in the country and taught live courses. And a big part of my CE courses is teaching your client stretches and exercises, stretches to loosen things, exercises to rebalance the body, and then mindfulness practices. So that's a part of all of my courses, but I would get to certain places. There are certain states where therapists are actually not allowed to do that, to even show a simple stretch. They have to refer out to a trainer or something like that. So I thought that was pretty wild, but at least in New York and most places, I believe it's most states, we are allowed to do that. And I think strongly, which is why it's in my courses, I think we should take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. We know what's worked in our body and we can set an example so we can guide them and not only in physical stretches that they might need, you know, get up from your computer and open up your chest or X, Y, Z, but also in, you know, just some easy, some very basic mindfulness and meditation practices. I have a lot of the people that are applying to my teacher training for meditation are actually massage therapists. And some of them are already doing it, which is really cool. So they're guiding their clients as soon as they get on the table in a short meditation or breathing exercise, rather than take that 20 or 30 minutes that a lot of people take to actually relax onto the table and receive your work. And a lot of us are working hard during that time, like <laughs> really leaning into it and exerting a lot of effort. But rather than take that amount of time, if you can guide them you know, with a diaphragmatic breathing practice or a guided visualization, bring them into that space fully and let them relax there. It can take five minutes and then they're ready for you to go in and do the work. And maybe you don't have to work as hard. Very true. I often use that in my Reiki blend. I'll do a Reiki massage blend and having them go through the breath work and visualizations is really powerful way to start that energy work with them. That's lovely. I love that. So oftentimes I'll sense that somebody needs that during a regular massage and I'll do a little bit of it and they're like, well, what was that? Like, that was amazing. That was right. part of the right. Yeah, I've always had a, one or two holds and I believe originally they're from a polarity therapy, not Reiki technically. I don't know. I've studied a lot of different energy stuff in the last 20 years, but I just have one or two that I'm really comfortable doing. And I just sort of place them somewhere within the massage. And my massage is, you know, a blend of deep tissue, medical, myofascial, Swedish, all the stuff. Stretching, Thai massage is one of my big things. But then I'll just pause and hold these points. And it's like, people are always like, whoa, <laughs> I feel something like, what is this? And I think it's these more subtle things that we can offer to people that not only save our hands as they say, save our bodies and, you know, lengthen our career because we're not working so hard, but it shows people that, you know, you don't need to just come in and get completely beat up for a massage and space out the whole time. You can actually receive different levels of therapies and be open to your energy as it changes and shifts and how other people can affect your energy. Yeah, 100%.
I find that people even just coming into my space are affected by the energy in here. And I've gotten so many compliments and you probably are the exact same, you know, people have commented on your space that you've created. Cause I can just imagine that you've created an awesome place for people to come and relax and experience your work and people can sense it when they come in, you know, that's just a different vibe, a different energy they've cultivated for our spaces. Absolutely. And that's another aspect of the practice that, you know, when we take care and we take time to become mindful of that, our space and how we present ourselves, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally, like, are we in this balanced state when we, you know, step up and say hello, when we place them on the table, they can feel the equanimity and that allows them to sink into a safe place. And they say, okay, I can receive this. So yeah, it's mindfulness around all of those aspects, what your space looks like and feels like and sounds like and smells like, but also what kind of mindset you're in when you're coming to them to work with them. Yeah, a lot of it is that leaving your personal issues or whatever is going on, all the you know kind of emotional baggage almost that we carry around all day, leaving that at the door and allowing that pure energy to flow through you for the session rather than filtering it through whatever is going on in your life right now. So I wanted to switch and talk about meditation and how that can be a benefit. I mean, we've discussed yoga and I am a huge believer in yoga and think that every massage therapist should be doing it to get in touch with their body, just as you mentioned. So what about meditation? I know a lot of people have issues with meditation. They know that they're like, I'm not the kind of person that can sit down and meditate. But in my experience, it's been one of the most spiritual and grounding experiences of my life whenever I've practiced meditation. So why do you teach meditation for one? And why do you recommend it? You know, that's such a simple question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that. (laughs) Meditation, it's like the massage and the yoga without all of the effort. (laughs) You can do it anywhere. You don't have to move your body around. You can just do it anywhere. But yeah, the preconception is, you know, I need to sit down, sit still in a quiet place and get rid of my thoughts or still all of my thoughts. I wish that notion wasn't out there so strongly because that's not really what the practice is about. And meditation is something that, you know, I would like people to realize that it's not just sitting. It's not, you know, what it was in the scriptures and the texts from 5,000 years ago and what the yogis did sitting in a mountain cave, you know, on a lambskin rug. It's something that you can do at any point in your day. And even in this modern world, you can do it for 30 seconds. You know, you can do it for an hour, but it's, it has to resonate with you. You can do it at home, you can do it on the train, you can do it while you're walking around, and I believe you can even do it while you're doing another activity, while you're going for a run, or you're grocery shopping, while you're having a conversation with someone is a beautiful time to practice, maybe not meditation per se, but mindfulness. There are just a hundred ways to do it, but it's going to bring you back to your true self. And I think I was touching on before, your true self is your intuition, right? Your intuition is part of your true self, but your inner being knows what path or what paths you could take in your life that are going to make you the most joyful. 
and that are going to be the most aligned and true for you. Meaning those are the ways that you can express your real gifts with other people in the best way. And we get so much stuff just piled on top of us that most people I know, most people I've worked with in the last 20 years, you know, they're going to work every day, they're working so hard and they're so stressed by it that they just come home and zone out or they have only an hour or two to relax. Maybe they go exercise really hard to get the stress out or maybe they just use escapism and they watch TV, but they do have something, at least one thing that is their gift and they really know they can do it. They're strong at it. They wanna share it with others, but there's no time. It feels like there's no time. It feels like there's no energy. It feels like there's no way to make a change in their life. But the fact of the matter is when you get more in touch with your inner self and you keep hearing those messages and you hear that voice over and over, which is something that happens naturally in meditation, you will start seeing new ways. Like, oh, maybe I should quit my job and try this new thing. Um, or maybe I should just take this class at night like suddenly I have energy and you just start kind of, you see paths where you couldn't see them before. You see doors that weren't there that are now unlocked and you can start moving towards that, whether it's having a healthier body, being more creative, sharing your gifts with others, helping more people, writing a book that you've always wanted to write, whatever it is for you, there's a way to get there. So I think that meditation is <laughs> like when you go into a sauna and you sit in the sauna and you just sweat it all out and you come out and you kind of feel like just completely relaxed. Nothing can really affect you, that kind of thing. I feel like meditation over time is that sort of process. You're kind of sweating out the spiritual impurities and the self-doubts and the limiting mindsets. You're letting go of them more and more because you're getting reconnected to what is possible. Yeah, I think that that about sums it up for as far as the benefits that people can receive. What are some ways, though, that people can incorporate it into their lives? I know a lot of therapists are busy rushing around doing their massages and appointments and running from here to there, like you said, going from phone to computer and to email. What are some simple ways that they can integrate it into their life? I am a strong supporter of guided meditation and also of having a teacher that you resonate with. So first of all, if you're trying to start a meditation practice, if you're interested in it and you want to explore it, try some recorded audios. I have a few of them on my website that you can download for free too. That way, when you get done with a long day, you're tired you can just put them on. You don't have to go somewhere and, you know, sign up for a class and this and that. You can literally lay in your bed and just put headphones on and listen to it or listen to it on the way to your next appointment in the car or on the train. Another thing though, is to just learn a couple of really simple mindfulness meditation techniques that would maybe last two or three minutes tops that you don't even need to sit down for. And you can do those before each client as a way to reconnect to yourself, see what place you're coming from, rebalance, re-energize, and just be very present. So those are ways for massage therapists, I think would be a great 
access point to starting a meditation practice. I really do suggest though, no matter who the teacher is, find a teacher that you resonate with or someone online or someone, you know, offering a webinar or a workshop or someone locally at a yoga studio, find someone, try out some different things because there are so many different types of meditation too. And that's something that gets overwhelming for people. They're like, well, there's mantra and there's <laughs> breathing and there's transcendental meditation and mindfulness and all these different things from yoga. There's a lot of different things, but in those choices is the fact that there's something for everyone. There's something that's going to work for you. So don't give up, keep trying. When you find a teacher that you're inspired by that speaks to you at some deeper level, stay with them, you know, keep learning as much as you can from them until you're feeling ready to explore something new and then go find another teacher. And that's how we get deeper and deeper into the spiritual practice and learn that we're really more alike and more connected to everyone else than we believe that we are. Very cool. So what are some common issues though, that beginners are going to face? What are the first challenges when they start their meditation practice that you can warn them of and maybe some advice on how to get past it? Sure, sure. Well, I think that issue of wanting to or thinking that you should be able to be good at meditation, meaning I should be able to quiet my mind and stop all of my thoughts and just be in a happy, peaceful place. <laughs> that's good at meditation. And if that's not your experience, right away or for quite a while, then you're doing meditation poorly, that that should be thrown out the window. So meditation is not all about just feeling more relaxed, although it is great at stress reduction and reducing anxiety, certain types, but it's about getting rid of the junk, you know, like seeing through all of the, the negative things that you've taken on in your life. So those things are going to come up. So we need to cultivate put front of mind that you should be cultivating more and more and more self-compassion during your meditation and out in your everyday life as well. Cultivate self-compassion. When you start getting frustrated with yourself, you know, you're sitting there for a minute or 10 minutes and thinking like, this doesn't feel good and my body hurts. And this is the point that tells you, okay, practice self-compassion. Don't get frustrated. Another way to place this, maybe sitting up in a meditative posture is not the best thing for you or your body for whatever reason, maybe going for a walk in nature and practicing a meditation then either mentally or listening to audio, maybe that's your thing, or maybe lying down on the floor so you don't have physical discomfort and you can really focus on what you're doing. So try different things and see which ones resonate with you more. And then I would say, try these practices at different times of the day, because a lot of people think I need to get up at 5 a.m. and do the practice every day at 5 a.m. And that's you know the spiritual time, that's when I should be doing it. But maybe your mindset, maybe your brain and your body work better for after work or at lunchtime or whenever it is. But it's important to try to have a steady time. So once you find you've experimented with a few different things and you say, I think, you know, maybe laying down is best for me right now. 
and listening to a guided meditation is good. That seems to work. And then try different times of day. How does this feel in the morning? And then how does it feel when I do the same one afternoon or before bed? And so when you're just starting off, you can pick the thing that fits with your schedule and your lifestyle the easiest. What feels the most simple? Don't work too hard for it because you need that in. You know, it's like if you were starting to take on an exercise program, you're not going to immediately go for a super hardcore thing that you're doing every day that's just challenging you to the max because you might get burnt out. So start simply, start small and try to find something that feels like it resonates with you that you can place into your everyday schedule. It doesn't have to be seven days a week, but maybe every other day and you put it in your calendar, you do it the same time of morning or the same time of evening. You want it to become a behavioral pattern. Then you start to look forward to it. Yeah. I think that building that habit of meditation or habit of yoga is something to me that's more important than achieving anything, you know, like doing the splits or meditating for two hours. It's more about I want to see that consistency of the benefits because that's where it compounds. Okay, so we're going to be playing the card game. And for those of you who have already been listening, you know that we pulled this card game out that I've designed. This one's happy hour, kind of a drinking version, but you don't really have to be drinking to do it. It's just, that's kind of an excuse. Just let loose and answer some of these funny questions. Yeah, let's go ahead and hop into it. So... This first one is, what is the smartest thing you've done in your life, which still makes you proud to think about? Well, I guess this may have something to do with getting my degree in behavioral neuroscience <laughs> and doing it all online. That does make me proud. I took an advanced genetics class within that degree program and got an A plus in the class. I was pretty psyched about that. I think yeah, as far as intellect goes, that's probably the smartest thing that I've done is getting that degree and getting such high grades. Awesome. What is a fun activity that you still want to do when you're 80 years old? That one's easy. Dancing, for sure. I want to be taking dance classes, different styles of dance. I will always be dancing. Anyone's in particular? For the last eight years, I've been studying West African Sabar. I like to change it up, though, so... I'm open to most things. Do you think you'll ever have learned all of them by the time that you're 80? I have a little ways to go, so maybe, yeah. <laughs> Be optimistic here. <laughs> there you go. Okay. A genie gives you three wishes. What do you choose? <laughs> three wishes. Can I wish to have infinite wishes? Nope. There is a caveat. It says any no. method for gaining further wishes immediately cancels all wishes and you die. Of course, had to ask. I would wish for expedited, heightened spiritual evolution on this planet to decrease or get rid of pain and suffering. So there's my number one. <laughs> number two. Yeah, I don't know. That's really the only one that I feel is the most important. Everything else I think is just on the way. Nothing personal that you would want for yourself? No, because I feel like I'm bringing it all in. So yeah. you just give up the other two wishes? 
<laughs> well, I think it will all come with the first one. The first one is, is the most important one. I'll give the other two wishes to whoever needs them the most. <laughs> okay. What is a current trend that you love? There is a social trend. I don't know how prevalent it is anymore, but during COVID, and especially the later part of COVID, um, that people were being kinder to each other on purpose. People were realizing that everyone else is maybe going through a lot and they didn't know who was suffering loss and who was grieving and, you know, who was stressed and in need. So people were checking on each other, their neighbors, complete strangers, people in their community. And I thought that was really beautiful. I thought that was a beautiful trend. And I remember thinking, I, I hope that continues that we all just cultivate more compassion and more empathy than we could have imagined before such a challenging event. I remember experiencing that as well. And that was really powerful. Just kind of the whole world coming together and being more compassionate. Okay, cool. All right. Well, that wraps it up for our game time. Do you want to let everybody know how they can connect with you or if they're interested in your 100-hour course, how they can access that? Absolutely. They can go to my website. You'll see under the menu, my meditation training is there. And if you go to resources, you can download either free meditation scripts that you can use with your clients or the audio meditations I was talking about earlier that you can use in your own practice. Just pop on a set of headphones and you know, see what works for you. There's a variety of meditations there. So centered, C-N-T-R-D, wellness.com. All right. Beautiful. Cool. Well, Jessica, it was great having you on and I'm looking forward to this episode release and hearing more about your next projects. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you for listening to the Happy Successful Massage Therapist podcast with Eric DeGear. Join our free Facebook group under the same name. If you are interested in one-on-one coaching or our massage mastermind group, you can apply at degear.biz and massagesuccess.club. Please support our podcast by purchasing the 420 and happy hour games at potatogames.com. Get $10 off when you buy both games using the secret code podcast. As always, see you on the flip side.